I and all sentient beings, until we achieve enlightenment, go for refuge to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. By the virtues I receive, by giving and other perfections, may I become a Buddha for the benefit of all. So how many were here for part one of uh, distinguishing? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Okay. Um, that means that we don't have to have that much of, of a review, right? Uh, because we remember all of that, or we've been researching, and uh, this is test time. So how many consciousnesses are there? Eight. Okay, so we're talking about eight here, but in other places it's listed as uh, 18 kinds, and in other places six kinds. So I just want you to not get hung up on a number. The Buddha gave different teachings to different people according to different proclivities and, and personality types. And sometimes if they understood a certain thing, he condensed it to three. Sometimes because they were too dull to get it, he condensed it to three. Sometimes, uh, you know, so he gave an exposition according to who was... Um, there in front of him. And of course, with an all-encompassing mind, a Buddha can do that. Because I'm not that, you know, I arrange the teachings in a little different fashion. So you got the bump, 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 bumped down version. So that's my caveat, number one. Uh, but I'm going to talk about, uh, or I continue the dialogue in reference to uh, eight um, uh, consciousnesses just keeping this as a frame of reference for trying to understand. It's like kind of keep a, a train on a track. So you lay a, you know, you kind of lay the track, but don't get hung up on the track, okay? Uh, it is is the movement on the track that takes us to an, uh, an end destination. That's the only thing you need to stick with. So you don't have to have every little thing right. It, it starts to blend and blur as you move uh, forward. So. Don't get hung up, but this is just to provide a, a framework. So what are the um, the uh, first five consciousnesses? Okay, which are? Yes, yes, good. And what's the sixth consciousness? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's the seventh and eighth? And, and the groundless. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so this is good. Uh, I don't think then I'm going to have to do too much reviewing. I do want to thank um, uh, Dhamma. I want to thank, uh, let's see, is she in Acharya? Uh, she's, she's still in the Acharya program. No? Uh, Christy is a Dharmacharya, right. I'd like to thank Christy because she uh, transcribed the talk uh, last week. Um, and it was a humongous effort. It came to nine pages. And uh, I appreciate it. And we're going to edit it and put it into a booklet form when I continue this, this, other, uh, this other, this part two. Okay, so I wanted to clarify a little bit about the seventh and the eighth consciousnesses. So, because we're so familiar with the first six, they make total sense to us. Um, we can see that in the outer world of form. Uh, we understand about our sense gates because that's how we take in our information. Uh, uh, and we can understand about uh, the mental because that's how we discriminate, put together what is in our own mind what is what. So those are easy. The seventh and the eighth are not as easy to um, understand uh, or uh, recognize because of their subtlety. So the uh, seventh um, consciousness is that subtle aspect or uh, knowingness or perception of uh, an individual um, eye. So even when you are asleep, unless you're in what I what is it theta state, there is a, an awareness of an eye 
being present, even when you're not thinking about yourself, when you do, no matter what you're doing in any kind of, of conscious state, there is this uh, behind the, the scene um, uh, agreement that there is this individual kind of permanent I. Um, we might call it the conceit I, I am, I, I exist. Uh, and it's very difficult to not to uproot uh, that awareness, but it's very difficult to transform that awareness. But that's, that rests um, as the um, basis for how we uh, utilize the other consciousnesses and whether uh, the way we utilize them helps us to accomplish, you know, our goals uh, for living and and the basis for our understanding of the nature of reality. The uh, eighth consciousness uh, is often called the storehouse consciousness, and uh, it, these are like if you could think of of imprints or or seeds. Um, uh, like dormant seeds, like if I have a pack of, of, of pumpkin seeds and they're not in the ground, then nothing happens with them. They don't, you know, they don't grow. I mean, they're just there. But if I then take those seeds and put them in the ground um, and I put them in bad ground or bad soil, then they will grow, it, but they'll be spindly, weak, sick. Uh, if I put them in good ground, uh, and if they get the right amount of sunshine, you know, I'm learning so much about that kind of stuff. I, I buy plants, you know, and, and they're supposed to be partial shade. I have them in full sun, you know, so I have to dig them up and move them somewhere else. And so it's not just about um, the seed, you know, it's about where it's planted, how it is nurtured, whether it's in the, uh, the conditions are right, for it to, you know, grow to its best. So if you think about these, um, this consciousness being like imprints that are, are activated with experience. So something happens and you have this reaction. You don't even know why you had this reaction. You think back in your memory bank and you can't even come up with any reason why that person just walked past me and I just don't like them. You know, I don't have a reason for it. It was just something, I don't know. Yeah. And so it's something like that where the seeds get activated and they form or they create an impression for, for us. And, and so this whole world we have, the solidity of this world, is, um, is due in part to the information we take from out here, the underlying sense of a personal self, and then those... Uh, uh, imprints uh, or storehouse consciousness. And that's what uh, uh, produces the, uh, our total experience as a, a living being. Is everybody with me so far? Okay. So oftentimes the Buddha spoke of us as a heap, you know, uh, form, feeling, perception, consciousness, and mind objects. And then he broke down form into its category or its composites of earth, air, fire, water uh, within space. Okay. And then there are, are the other uh, aggregates. So I'd like to kind of tie in, in all of the other ones because form is form, you know, material form. And then, but you have all of these others and they're tied in to these consciousnesses, this uh, feeling, perception, consciousness, um, mind, and mind objects. They're all tied, they're in, the, in what we would call the mental, uh, the mental realm in, in a loose category. And so that's what I want to talk about today because it's out of this realm that um, our, our, uh, the transformation of wisdom can uh, can occur. Uh, so I'm going to figure out how to break down um, a one-month lesson into 40 minutes.
Okay, let's start with um, hmm, the five wisdoms because uh, I think that's where we left off uh, last week. So the five wisdoms, there are five causes within the practice of our path of Dharma that give rise to wisdom. Uh, hmm. The aggregate of feeling, that includes, you know, dukkha, just general dukkha. It includes the dukkha of change as well. And it includes the, the dukkha of, of um, uh, uh, not self, impermanence. And so anything that you could think of as causing you suffering. Um, is uh, experienced through the aggregate of uh, sensation or feeling, you know. Uh, but when this is transformed, it's transformed into freedom from suffering. So there's suffering, there's freedom from suffering. And this produces uh, a, an unbroken, at its best, continuity of bliss. Now, sometimes uh, when we first start with this, we're so much aware of the difference between aversion and non-aversion, or suffering and non-suffering, or our happiness and sadness. But as time goes on, just observing these, not pushing them away, not tamping it down, but just being with it, however it is arising, and uh, through our, our effort of, uh, in our meditation and off the pillow, it, through our efforts, we begin to learn how to be with it until we can pass through the sensation or the feeling of it to just come to know it all together. Then we know that when I do this, uh, it brings about this kind of feeling and I decide whether uh, that is suffering for me or not suffering for me. So sometimes a person can do something and somebody else is observing that and saying, like, I don't know why how they can do that, or why they're putting themselves through that. You know, it's so unnecessary. It seems like suffering, but the person like, is not suffering to them at all. It's suffering from your side, but from that person's side, it may not seem like suffering at all. And so we try to make people conform to our view, our reality of how things are, uh, and and that's how we mess up. Actually, this is about us deciding within ourselves what is our personal suffering and how, you know, and how to soothe uh, and uproot that, that suffering. And I'm going to tell you, that's a full-time job. Um, and so, so uh, in the beginning, there's like this tossing back and forth. Uh, you can hear something. The minute you hear it, like you're like, no, we're not doing that. And then after you sit with it for 15 minutes, five minutes, one minute, I mean, you're not even uh, like upset about it anymore. It was like a fleeting thing where before that you could think about it for a week. You know, now it's a day. Now it's an hour. Now it's a minute. Now it's just a, a flash. But it's genuine. It's authentic. It's not make-believe. It's not a false face. It's as we practice, we get better and better at neutralizing and just being able to see something as it is and deciding whether we will suffer or not. And you know where you are on the path by, you know, your ability to do this. And you might be ahead in some areas and behind in others, not according to other people's estimation, but according to one's own, you see because this is all about one knowing oneself and one working on oneself and one bringing oneself out of suffering. We say I take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, but Buddha, Dharma, Sangha better be in you because that's the only place where you're going to find relief because everything, even Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha is mind-made. Everything in our reality is mind-conceived. So how we view it in our mind is what it is. Uh, and so the aggregate of perception is transformed into unhindered ability to teach the Dharma. I spent a, a week uh, with my uh, master uh, last weekend. It was like so wonderful. And when I went, 
Uh, she asked me what did I want, and I told her what I wanted. Uh, and she said, well, I was just asking to see what you say, because that's not what I'm giving you uh, this week while, you, while you're here. Um, she, but when I told her uh, what I wanted, she told me, come on, you know. And so I came on with this expectation uh, that she would give me that. But the minute I got in her presence, all of my expectations, like when you're alone with yourself, you can have all kinds. But the minute I got in her presence, this is someone who I deeply respect. It's someone who I submit myself to so that I can learn something. Now, everything she tells me, I'm, I may be not be down with it all. I respect it all. I respect her. And, but I have to find out, figure out, come to know, you know, my own truth. So it doesn't mean I accept everything, but I certainly approach her and what she offers with a certain amount of respect. And what that means then is that I can get the highest and the best out of it uh, because I'm not there with the yeah, but mine, or what about this? Well, I see it like this. You know, I just take it all in and then I chew on it, chew on it, and chew on it. Panya Deepa and I were having a discussion this morning and I was sharing something that, um, that was shared uh, with me and it was like so wonderful. And I told him just a few days ago I had a different, uh, I had a different view about this, but the willingness to not reject what I have not yet apprehended leaves the doorway open to apprehend what we don't already know, and so that's that's the way of that's the way of learning, and that's what brings uh, 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 joy to this path. It uh, it's what. Uh, uh, you know, there's something to be said about mystery, but mystery is just don't know. So it's good to have a, a sense of the awesomeness of mystery, but we need to continue it on until, until we know, until we know what we know. Uh, so this, um, uh, the teaching that was given was so simple, you know, and when she started with, the titles of them, they were like kindergarten titles, you know, and um, and I just said, I'm here now, so I'll just go with this. I'll take any teaching that uh, she wants to share with me, you know, and, and I really had picked some at the top end of the, you know, of the study, but she was down here at something about something for beginners and, you know, and as soon as I saw the word beginners, you know, you know, I there was the mind, you know, and and I had to. Uh, I won't say okay, honestly, I won't say that I felt like I was a beginner. But I tell you, when she started giving that dharma, I saw that I was at the beginning, and that um, and that allowed me to open up. It wasn't anything I hadn't heard before, you know, but to hear it in its simplicity in a certain way, uh, receiving it opened me up so that I, so I could unpack it and find that it has depth and breadth, breadth and volume and height and weight. All of that was packed in that, in those little uh, pithy sayings and that what I would call uh, uh, kindergarten talk. Uh, so uh, that would be the unhindered ability to teach the Dharma, you see. And so you have some who are like lower than Midland Dharma teachers like me, and then you have some who are accomplished uh, depending on the transformation of their perception. Then the um, mental formation is transferred, uh, transformed into miraculous deeds and the gathering of Dharma students. Miraculous deeds, you might call that uh, successes or skillfulness, being able to finish what you start. It, a lot of people can start things, but can they finish it? It's being able to go through the adversity, the vicissitudes. It's being able to stand alone. It's to be able to stand with others and everybody has a different view. It's to be able to work together and to work apart. It's to be able to know that obstacles will come because we're in uh, this kind of world uh, uh, that is full of obstacles and yet and still be able to uh, 
maintain your devotion to the success of things without uh, tying them to yourself or, or, or them being like leeches that speak of your success. It is just the success of something for the benefit of, of, uh, of living beings without any sense of, uh, say, a personal I. There was someone who came and she talked to me the other day and she said, I want to come and, and help. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. And, um, you know, if you want to help, you need to know what we're doing um, so you could see where you could help. But for the next four hours, she just talked to me about whatever ideas were all in her head about everything, you know. And she said, um, and I, finally, she turned to me, and so she said, how can I help you? And I said, after four hours, because I was laying out everything that she could do, so then I said, how can Hardwood help you? She said, I don't need anything from Hardwood. I come to give. I said, well, then you shouldn't be here. You know, because if you think that what you're going to offer me in your worldly sense is going to be superior to what the Dharma offers us in its super normal sense, then, uh, then this is not the place for you. Because we're here because we've had all of the ordinary stuff that we want. We already have enough of that. You know, we're looking for something that um, elevates, you know, this whole thing about um, um, uh, the recent uh, suicides of, of celebrities, you know, and you think they have all the money in the world, all the fame in the world, you know, they have all the opportunities. But unless there is something that we're reaching for that is more than what the world offers us or that we can enter into, through our, our sense consciousnesses, there's always going to be that sense of insufficiency and lack because the world can't uh, provide to us everything that we need. It's being able to go in and have a purpose, a true purpose uh, for living. And most of us uh, start looking for that. Either they come because they're looking for that or after they get here, they start to realize, oh, I w was looking for something and didn't even know what I was looking for. And starting to find uh, something in, within, in the interior that replaces the need for external success uh, in the world or to be um, named and recognized by the things that, that we do. And so, um, so when I said this to her, she said, well, you know, what you're saying to me doesn't make sense because I don't know, I believe everybody's purpose is to totally give themselves. And that's how I live my life. I said to her, you haven't given until you're giving without giving. As long as there's an I that's giving, then I is still the central focal, focal point. And she got up and she went in the other room and she cried. And she did not understand this. She saw, because all of her giving, and she's truly a giver, but all of it is tied into her personhood, her sense of her worth, her sense of her value. You see what I mean? And so there's a space that we have to go beyond that before we're really uh, truly giving, because that's a place that will still give us pain. That's a place that we will still evaluate our sense of worth up from. And, and it's a blind, it's a blind alley. And so uh, the aggregate of uh, mental formation is transferred into being able to accomplish things, uh, but without or with knowing, you know, that it wasn't accomplished in your own power and in your own might, and even no sense of I am accomplishing or doing. There is just the doing of things. And part of that is then the gathering of 
Dharma students, why you don't have to proselytize, you know. Um, now my, you know, my master's master has uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of disciples. And I'm only having, after 10 years, my first opportunity to have an audience with him. It's been 10 years or 13 years, right, Tanya Deepa? Um, and it's partly because uh, when I said I didn't have the, the, the karma, the, the forward moving karma, the results were there because I was introduced over 10 years ago. But my uh, living actions, the mindset I have, uh, prevented me because number one, I'm not sure I'm committed to uh, uh, applying myself in the ways that he suggests I apply myself. So I, I, I really shouldn't waste his time. Now, my master, her, her, her requirements are not as high as his. I can deal with her. I mean, no, but when it comes to him, he's going to ask for a level of commitment that I'm not, you know, heretofore, I wasn't sure that I would, actually, I was pretty sure that I, I could not offer. So I didn't waste his time. And I didn't put myself in a position that this will be running in uh, through my mind that I'm, uh, I'm not worthy, I'm not committed to the path, because I am committed. I'm committed at my level of commitment, which, might not, which would not have been sufficient for him, because he'll tell you in a minute, don't waste my time. If you're not going to put in the practice, if you're not going to do this, don't come. So I didn't go. And keep getting invited, and then the invitation stopped. Then all of a sudden, after years, got a call. Blue Master would like to see you. And that was about maybe a year ago. Haven't gone yet, but I am going. <laughs> I am going uh, this month uh, because I'm, I am uh, more committed to hearing what he has to say and to really see how that factors, how I can factor that into my, into my life. Finally, there's the aggregates of, of, of consciousness. That would be mind and mind objects. And they're transformed into the five, um, um, the five wisdoms. The sixth mental consciousness uh, is the aspect of mind that becomes wisdoms at the level of enlightenment. So hearing and contemplating the full range of the teachings of awakened beings. Here we talk about the Buddha, but it's not the Buddha only, right? I mean, you got to know that. If there's only one forever, then forget about it. Uh, and he spoke of five Buddhas of this particular age. And then there's, there's an incalculable number of awakened people. And some of us have had experiences or uh, um, uh, relationships with other beings that uh, we, some in human body and some in non-human, uh, non-human body. You know, there are many different realms and levels of existence. We don't think there's only this one, do we? Do we? Okay. Um, and so, uh, so there is this um, full range of teachings of awakened beings, whatever we have the propensity and the, the karma to encounter. But here we're, we're talking basically about hearing these teachings, figuring out how to apply them to our life, helping to correct our deluded views, and, uh, and using the practices that they offer to, um, to subdue our unwholesome behaviors and to cultivate and foster wholesome behaviors. And, and it's through, this pra through uh, these methods that uh, the cause for mirror-like wisdom to develop. Now, mirror-like wisdom is to be able to look at something or look at someone and know what it is. So it's like um, uh, someone is coming and they're saying something to you and you hear the words, but being with them is like looking in a mirror and you see what's actually there, what's actually, you know, in the mind, how they actually feel or what they actually believe, even though they're saying this, you know, it's being able to just look upon that one, be with that one, 
and know um, precisely uh, um, know that whatever is reflected in the mirror, you know, is unmist unmistakable in spite of what's being said or what actions are being done. Uh, and as more and more people awaken, it's going to be more and more difficult to fool folk. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, what I envision, you know, heartwood, you know, people really cultivating and, and the brightness, you know, coming, that brightness brightens also the mind. And so when people come with their story, and it doesn't mean that you, you know, like reject them um, because you're looking in the mirror and you see what something is and you hear, you're hearing something else or you're seeing some other superficial action on the outside. You know, you just know that um, you can rely on the mirror-like uh, wisdom that is arising. And while you can see clearly, you, there's no attachment. You know, there's no attachment to these appearances. And so you don't, you don't like, uh, have to like um, push the person away because you know that their mind is like this. You know, you can keep the person close. I mean, I, I think it was, who was it? Uh, who, who was the warrior? Um, Sue? No, not Lao Tzu. The other one. Uh, the, it said keep your enemy, your friends close and your, your enemies closer. That was Lao Tzu? Okay, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's something like that. It's not exactly like that. But it will allow you to keep both your friends and your enemies close. You know, um, engaging in the meditation of helping all sentient beings. And notice I said engaging in the meditation of helping all beings without any partiality to friends or aversion to enemies uh, will cause the wisdom of equality to arise. If mine is the forerunner of all things, then it's the forerunner of our actions. So uh, and when we're engaged in helping sentient beings, but we haven't conditioned and transformed the mind to be uh, impartial, then our help, no matter how useful it appears to be, is tainted, um, contaminated with that partiality. And so there's a way that we have to uh, train the mind. That's why he says breathing in and breathing out. We train. You know, we're not like just sitting back, letting go for a while. We're training the mind, it, it, making it a useful tool that will help us uh, to achieve um, to achieve our 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 goal of being able to truly be a help to all to to all all beings. And so this wisdom of equality arises partly through engaging in the meditation. That means that when I'm sitting, you know, I'm envisioning myself even uh, helping living beings. I'm, I'm envisioning myself do, doing certain uh, uh, acts. I'm envisioning myself uh, saying to the one who's, uh, who's trying to tear me down, I'm envisioning myself receiving them with, with kindness. I'm and I may never go to them because that might be a dangerous place physically to go there with them, you know, but in my own mind, I can create whatever Buddha land I want. And so in that space, I can hold them close, even if I might not be able to wrap my arms around them in the physical. You with me, you understand what I'm saying? And so the mind has to be um, worked with in uh, this kind of way. And that's one of the uh, uh, aspects of meditation, you know, it's like uh, there are things that we stop doing, there are things that we drop off, but but then there are things that we start doing and things that we take up, both mentally and in actual action. The giving of uh, Dharma teachings with the motivation of love and compassion is an, and a desire to help uh, sentient beings will cause discriminating wisdom to develop. And that's why we encourage our, our uh, teachers when they graduate, no, they're not, um, especially if, 
well, I won't speak upon you deeper, but especially if I have been their teacher, you know, like how high can they, how high can they be? Nevertheless, the more they teach, the more they will grow. Just teaching what you do know, just teaching what you do understand, uh, learning how to get better and better at articulating it, uh, learning to, to uh, sense the, the climate or the temperature in the room, learning to know um, uh, what you can say and what not to say. Sometimes when we're having our talk and we're here with our family, I say things that I'll say to him, you gotta take that off when you, when you post it. You know, because someone who doesn't know us, someone may take that in a certain way that would turn them off completely from, from the Dharma or cause them to shut down on something because they are not, uh, it w- it w- it's not beneficial for them to hear it in that kind of way. You, um, it's like, um, well, in, in when I was growing up, if you did something wrong, you didn't even worry about what happened when you got home. You had to get home first because everybody's mama would come and whoop you on your way home. It's not like that today. You know, you say something to somebody's kid <laughs> and their mother come up and beat you. But, but in those days, uh, it was, it's true. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how it went out by telegraph or what, but when you did something wrong before you got home, you know, every, every mother in the neighborhood knew it. And so, um, so it's, 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 um, it's, you know, it's something uh, like that. So we have to be careful in uh, this time and in, in this Dharma ending age, you know, where we're, we're so uh, sensitive, you know, because we're so raw, we're suffering so deeply and, and we're having a more and more contracted view uh, and sense of self-preservation has, is becoming so strong. Uh, and uh, so it becomes more and more difficult for us to uh, develop and to hold any kind of, of, uh, of, of uh, wisdom, any kind of usefulness. So um, the accomplishing, so that's the discriminating uh, wisdom. The accomplishing of activities to benefit others is the cause for all accomplishing wisdom. So the more that we do, we find the more that we are, are able you know, to do. Um, there's a, a saying, I might not get it right, but it has to do with um, you know, suffering and one who has suffered much, you know, is able to endure so much more than one who has not suffered that much. And so, so we are, um, when I'm in India and when I'm in Cambodia and some of these places, I, I, you know, I'm with people who've undergone great hardships, great suffering. And so hardly anything even seems like suffering because they have endured you know, more than just survive, they have endured. And so they're able to handle, you know, some of the things that we would find uh, intolerable uh, in life. And the thing is that when you get over there with them, you find that you can handle it too. I remember when Panyadeep and I first went to India and uh, we checked into the, uh, well, not checked into, because they put us into um, a hotel. It's the only, or at that time, it was the only, hotel owned by untouchables and of course only untouchables stayed at the hotel it was called the the buddha hotel and when we went there and we looked at our accommodation they were like so proud so proud to take us there and and there we came and the first thing we did was went out and bought bleach and we bought you know uh sheets and we bought uh you know and we went in and we cleaned everything we washed the walls we uh but by the time, and then Panyadeepa looked at me and he was like, I'm going to die for sure here. And uh, now, now I, I live a little rougher than Panyadeepa, you know, so my body wasn't as clean. I mean, so I could, I could eat almost anything from almost anybody. But he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't the same. Um, but I'll tell you, after we'd been there for a, just a few days, 
seeing the resiliency of the people, the never you mindness of the people, the ability to accommodate things, you know. Uh, and I realized that the walls, like the walls to me, they were filthy, but they're not filthy. It is a place that's full of dust, you know, and it doesn't rain for months and it gets into the walls. We couldn't even wash it off. But now it didn't look dirty to me. It looked like that's just how it is here, you know. And so it was in those ways, uh, in the in the mornings, uh, uh, early in the mornings, the untouchables would come out with their buckets and their brushes and the upper caste people would go to the bathrooms and it just drops down, you know, like into a, a pile at the side of the, of the house and they come every morning and they scoop it up into the buckets and, and clean up the area. And I'm like, oh, that is just so nasty. But after a few days, like, that's how it is here, you know? Uh, and it didn't seem nasty. It just seemed the way it is there. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I remember the first time we went out and we were looking at uh, a field and we were going to, um, let me see, Pondy but wasn't with me that time. And we were going to uh, build uh, a well. Well, we were looking at sites to put a particular well. And one um, lady, she was so grateful that we were going to have water. They don't have water, okay? Uh, so grateful that we, they were going to have water that she wanted to fix food for us. Now, she didn't have much food. She just had chickpeas. But she got some water from somewhere and made those chickpeas and brought them to us. So she came uh, coming across the field. And when I saw her coming with that pot, <sighs> people started looking at me and said, what are we going to do, Pontywadi? I said, we're going to eat it. And if we die, we die. You know? And so uh, someone said, I'm not eating it. I said, that's right. I respect, I respect the people. But I am going to eat it. You know? And so she came with that pot and she started scooping and putting the chickpeas into everybody's hands. Now, of course, all the other, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, people who live there, they could eat this, you know, but this was maybe like strange bacteria. That's all I'm thinking about, you know, uh, for myself. But I said, well, if I'm going to eat it, I need to put such thoughts out of my mind, you know. And I began to like think this is the nectar, you know, of the Brahma realm, you know and that it was given with such love and compassion. Surely that has the power to neutralize. You know, now I'm not recommending that you do that. I'm just telling you what I did, okay? Um, and so, and then I ate them. I'm gonna tell you, they were so good that I forgot all about clean, dirty water, whatever. You know, when she came by with the second helping, I was ready to receive and that could say something about my appetite. Um, but. Uh, but the fact is, it was just that quick how our perceptions about things can change. And so I've been there six or seven times now, and it's amazing. I've never gotten sick. I've never, you know, and uh, it's changed my whole idea. But when I come back here, if I see an ant, ew! You know, if I if I come back here and I see, a, you know, like a bug run, run across the floor, I can't tolerate it. But over there, it's nothing but bugs running across the floor and across your bed, and, uh, you know. And so it's amazing how we discriminate, and it's amazing of the power of influence, you know, and so much I learned from them. You should take a trip with us sometimes. You will come back, change. There'll be nothing over here that you can't handle. I mean, with, with the people who's, if their shadow falls on the upper caste, they can be killed. I mean, so call me what you will. You know, but over there I've been with people who, who have to watch where they walk so their shadow doesn't fall on you. I have to be with people who have to take their shoes off when they walk past your house because they are lower caste. I have to I be with people who bathe in the water that comes downstream from the town, you know, into their area, and that's the wastewater of the people of the town, and they bathe in it, they... Uh, uh, wash their clothes in it, they cook in it, all in the same water. And so, so we find that we develop a great capacity, you know, as we undertake activities. And I think that this is some kind of a supranormal, meaning more than ordinary, uh, capacity that is, that is available, uh, 
to us. And so the accomplishing of activities to benefit others is the cause for an all-accomplishing wisdom. And the realization of the true nature of phenomena is the cause for the fifth category of wisdom, which is the Dhamma Datu wisdom. Uh, Datu means realm, uh, the, the Dhamma realm. That is the realm where uh, the nature of all uh, both phenomena and non-phenomena can be known. And so within the, that's sort of like where the Theravada leave, leave it unless you go into a monastery and study some of the really, really deep uh, uh, sutras, um, which is why Panyadipa and I uh, became monastics because we wanted access to some things, not particularly because we wanted to, you know, wear, uh, as one lady called it, those colored sheets, and not because, um, you know, we wanted to be different or anything, but we wanted access to some things that we really don't have uh, access to. There's only a few copies of translations, you know, and some of the teachings, um, uh, if you don't go through uh, uh, great trials, the teachers won't share it with you. You know, they just won't give you the information. You know, it, it costs something is what I'm saying. And so, uh, so that's kind of where uh, we leave it. But I'd like to continue on in the um, uh, Mahayana and the Vajrayana uh, yanas uh, to talk about uh, the way they have expressed these different uh, realms. And that would be the Dhammakaya, Sabogakaya, and the Namanakaya, um, or, or these uh, three different realms. The Dhammakaya uh, is the pure realm of complete enlightenment as we would understand it. We might say it's the organization of wisdom itself or the body of wisdom out of which everything comes or everything is a part of. So the Dhammakaya is the quality it's like the quality of complete wisdom or complete knowing. And of course, it manifests as compassion for all beings. And not only compassion, but compassion and power, the power to actually provide refuge for them. You know, So it's not just saying the right things, but it's actually having the capacity you know, to, provide, uh, to provide a refuge. There was a, a gentleman who came to see me uh, yesterday and he's been a rip roaring cussing angry kind of kind of guy and um everything that he did wasn't like totally on the up and up and when i would call him on it you know he'd get upset and he'd uh you know like curse me out and stomp off but he came to see me yesterday because and he asked me to come and visit him uh, he was going in the hospital. We sat down and we talked for a little while, you know. So of all the people that he knows and all the friends that he has, when he's facing a life and death issue, he came right here. But it's because he knew he could come back here. You can't go back to everybody you cuss out. You can't go back to, you know. But he knew he could come back here and that I would, re I would receive him. And I'd be happy to receive. It'd be my pleasure to receive him because that's how I want to be received. When I haven't always done everything right through not knowing or through knowing and just didn't do it right. And we'll be that way, all of us, even when we think we do everything right. <laughs> we will be that way until we are, are awakened. You know, but what do I want for him? I want for him the same thing that I want for myself. Offer others what you want for yourself. And so, so um, we had this, you know, we had this wonderful conversation. I talked to Panya Deep. I said, Panya Deep, I feel inadequate, you know, because I don't really know uh, what to say to him. I said, I feel like my, my level of being able to uh, touch him in a place uh, that could be beneficial for him. You know, there's lots of things I could say. But it's not just saying something. It's saying what the person needs to hear at that moment. 
you know, and I felt like I didn't have it. He said, well, you keep sitting with it, you'll get it, you know, and, um, and, I, and, I will, and I will try. He said, well, he came to you, so you're the one, you know, that he has the confidence and you're the one that suppose that he can receive if, if it's not because he thinks you have wisdom, but that because he thinks you simply love him or have compassion for him. Sometimes that's enough to say to a person, I see you, I, I get you. So that's um, sort of like the uh, Dharma, Dharmakaya, and it is like um, not in any kind of phenomenal uh, form. It's the precursor to that. And it manifests as the uh, Sambhogakaya, which is the uh, uh, a pure realm or a realm where uh, the uh, realized beings exist. Now that wouldn't be this realm, you know, until uh, one fully awakes and then there's no more rebirth in not only this realm, but in any of the realms, any of the realms of samsara. Um, so it's like off the wheel of conditioned existence. So that's the realm that uh, realized beings exist in and it allows from that space to enter into any realm for the purpose of assisting living beings. I get a lot of human assist, uh, assistance. Actually, I get a lot of cat assistance too. You know, my cat always knows how I'm feeling. When I'm feeling bad, he just comes and climbs up and he gets right up here in my face. And I've never been like a cat person. When that cat showed up, I'm like, you're at the wrong house because I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not down with animals that way. I had my thing with animals. But he would not leave. He kept coming day after day, sitting at that uh, back door, the basement door. Um, right outside my bedroom. And finally, I just opened the door one day and he came in and he never left. And, uh, and there is something about him that he knows when I don't feel well, he knows, and he, he's there. So in a way, he's assisting me. Um, and, and I appreciate it. And that's in the, you know, um, sort of a different classification of being, being nevertheless. There are other classifications of being who have different bodies, uh, fine material bodies that we can't see with the uh, naked eye or with the ordinary eye. But when uh, the mind is elevated, that's why the Buddha tells us to uh, cultivate and to develop uh, loving kindness and compassion and altruistic joy and equanimity because it will expand our, our capacity to see and to know things, to interact in in different uh, in different uh, realms, and uh, to communicate with different to, with different beings. And somebody says, "Well, I don't I don't believe in that." Well, that's fine. That's okay. Um, I might say, you know, that you believe in tomorrow, though, because you always plan for tomorrow. Tomorrow is not going to come for some of us, you know. But we just generally assume that it will, even though everything else, you got to show me concrete evidence, you know, or, uh, but tomorrow, we always plan for tomorrow, you know, without any concrete evidence. It's just where we choose to put our, to put our faith and to put our hope, you know. So, um, this, uh, sub, uh, Sambhogakaya realm is where of the beings of that mind possess that wisdom of equality and that discriminating wisdom uh, that I was talking about. And the Buddha gave us the, um, the steps or the ways by which we develop these two kinds, these two kinds of, of wisdom. Uh, when he was talking to his son Rahula, and he said, and he took him into a contemplation of the elements, earth, air, fire, water, and space. And he said, and you can spit in the wind, you can throw garbage in the water, and you can throw uh, debris on the earth. They're not humiliated. Then um, they're uh, not uh, uh, offended. No, they're not disgusted. So everything almost that makes us feel uncomfortable arises from those three spaces of humiliation, of disgust, or, um, or offense. 
And what this practice does is it helps us to, uh, to, to drop off those three hindering uh, perspectives or views. And so the more I just look at this body as those elements, and then I start working with these other uh, parts of the heap or the aggregate, the feeling, perception, consciousness, and mind objects, this is how we transform. So it's not just dropping something off. It's dropping something off and it's adding something. You know, it's uh, casting down certain views and envisioning others. So when we're sitting, considering ourselves, the whole Kuan Yin practice is about uh, considering oneself as Kuan Yin or Avalokiteshvara as the embodiment of compassion. Um, there's a, you know, and so many times uh, when we thought like whatever our previous uh, spiritual discipline was, you know, I would always speak, you know, and, and could quote the body and, and say, you know, it's, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. I have, I have been renewed, you know, and I have taken on the mind of Christ. And I'm saying all this, but I'm just acting like Diane, you know. But what does it mean to really enter into that saying? What does it mean? I have to envision myself as that. I have to, you know, and that's sort of a fake it till you make it, you know. But what it does is it begins to change the mind, the way you think of yourself, the way you uh, understand and know yourself, the way you feel about yourself, so that how you want to be, you know, you become that by uh, imagining for that time that you're sitting that you are that. What does that feel like? If I was that, how would I relate to this situation? If I was that, how would I uh, relate to this person? If I were Kuan Yin, if I were, I am Kuan Yin, so now I relate with uh, mercy. I, you know, uh, I'm seeing uh, the, uh, the great difficulties in their life. What makes a mind uh, think that way or do those things. There must be a tremendous amount of pain. I'm in connection with that. I can feel that pain and therefore I can um, arouse, you know, uh, um, a motivation to uh, accept that person, be accepting of them, even as they are uh, working through or not working through some of their behaviors and difficulties and their pain and their sorrow. Uh, and finally, of course, there is the mnemonicaia, which is our earthly realm inhabited by beings in samsara. And not only our earthly realm, but then we have the, the hell realms, the hungry ghost realms, the animal realm, the human realm, the asura realm, the deva realm, you know, and these are just different beings with different mind states. It's just like different frequencies. Um, we see it as different colors, you know, produces different colors, uh, different frequencies. We uh, experience some of it as light, some of it as sound, some of it as feeling, you know. Uh, but in the final analysis, it's frequency. That's all there is. That's all there is to that. But if we close ourselves off to such, then we miss the opportunity for exponential uh, growth and development. And we miss the knowing, not the imagining, but the knowing directly of some good friends. So in summation, by diligently listening to and contemplating the Dharma and meditating on it, we're able to slowly eliminate the afflictions and gradually develop the wisdom of the true nature of phenomena. And then the Mnemonicaia uh, uh, has the wisdom of all encompassing actions, all encompassing actions. The Mnemonicaia, that's us. We have the ability to enter into all accomplishing actions. Every Buddha that exists, every Bodhisattva there was, you know, came up through these stages of development, these stages of awakening. 
So being free of delusion, one can correctly then teach other beings. I'm not free of delusion. I can't correctly teach. But with such as I have, I freely, I freely give, you know. But um, when we do this, sometimes people emulate your actions. Sometimes people are just encouraged by your stability. Sometimes they, uh, you teach people just by your, uh, your tenacity and capacity to stick to something. Or by, uh, when my teacher was teaching something, I, I interjected because one of her students, and I just met him that day, nice fellow, but you know, he just like had a way of giving this man speak that just started rubbing me wrong, you know. Um, and, and he was like 26 to boot. And, um, and that's my problem, right? You know, that's, that's, that's my issue. That's, that's what I, I saw in, in that situation. And, uh, and he came along and he said something like, everything is either black or white. How would you know at 26? Everything is either black or white, he said. You know, I don't, I don't like all of, And then I spoke up and I said something. But his teacher was right there. That, you know, she knows how to handle her student. You know, um, she said she agreed with me, and she and she and she did talk. But he could accept something from her that he might not be able to accept from me, and she could speak to him in a certain way that wasn't out of her irritation for his man speak. You know, and so it was in uh, appropriate for me to speak. You know, and and that was a lapse. But immediately, I I was chagrined. I mean, I was so embarrassed because she approached it like maybe I'm I'm just not a good teacher you know and she said something 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 she said the perfect words and we were at the end of the of the um, of the session and she got up and she walked to her room you know and then we got up I immediately ran to her room I was on the floor knocking on her door at the foot of her door so that when she opened her door she saw that I had lowered my head to her and I said master I'm so sorry embarrassing you that way she said oh no 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 don't worry about nothing she said I think it was the perfect answer now it was not the perfect answer uh, or it was but maybe but but it's like was I the one to give it that's what I'm saying you know and so I'm I made I took care of it right then and right there with her and I hadn't no I had shame over the deed but no shame in bowing my head to her and asking her for her forgiveness but then when we went on to our meal at our Oriyoki, there's everybody around the table, and all they know is that I did what I did. You know, so I, before I could even pick up a spoon, I had to ask everybody at that table to please forgive me for disrespecting, you know, her in that way, and that I spoke out of turn. I said, you know, but when you get used to doing something like this, it becomes easier, easier, and then also you become more circumspect. You don't want to have to be apologizing to everybody, right? <laughs> But you don't mind it when you recognize there is such a, a attachment or connection, you know. Uh, and so, uh, and and in these ways, we'll get over this sense of self. Nothing kills the self more than stuff like that, you know. You'll get over the sense of self. And so, I'd like to end right here. I know this was a whole lot, um, and I just wanted to uh, uh, kind of lay a track for you in, because uh, sometimes people say, well, you know, we hear this little thing and that little thing, and I, I don't like to do a lot of linear teaching because life's not linear. You know, we just get what we get in the course of a day, and we have to figure out how to roll with that. You know, and I think in, in many ways that does more good than laying out some kind of organized doctrine because the Buddha didn't have it that way, neither would anybody else that's enlightened. But when we fall from that space, we need things organized for us in certain ways. You know, we seem to get it better. So some teachers who came along have done that for us, and I appreciate, you know, what they've, what they've done. Uh, you need to listen to it again. I would encourage you to. It'll be on the website um, in, a, in a few days. And if you didn't hear part one, if you listen to part one, I think it'll give you more of a cohesion. Uh, uh, you can go on the internet. You can any words you don't understand, any train of thought, you can Google. I love Google. I use it all the time. You can just Google, um, you could Google Nemanakaya. 
if you wanted to know a little bit more fully what that is. You can Google these five wisdoms. You can, you can Google the uh, eight consciousnesses, and you can use this, you can print it out and use it as a, a template for your introspection and your contemplation. But I tell you, if you do these things, something will open up for you that's more than just coming to hear a Dharma talk and forgetting what you've heard by the time you get to the car. It'll be something that'll stick to you and that will, uh, will transform, it will uh, absorb like charcoal, it will absorb the self and you will be uh, transformed without even realizing that you've made the effort. May all beings be well and happy and peaceful. May no harm come to you, no danger. May you always be able to meet with the inevitable difficulties of life. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.